0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are, and whenever you are, you're back on the Asian Highway Podcast at work. This is Erased, our weekly environmental news podcast. I'm your host, Pimo, one of your three hosts here on this amazing podcast. This is episode number six. We have a full crew in the house today. I'm obviously here online, and I have my, my two really smart, intelligent co hosts along with me. Dana Miller is back from the Florida Keys and from the Gulf, and we may chat with her about her experience out there on the water. And we also have Mary Carrion. Hello, Dana, and Helen, hello, Mary.
1: Hello. Hi. Good to be, good to be back.
0: Welcome Dana, back, Dana. It's nice.
2: Yeah, it's nice that you're here to join us from the high seas. <laughs> <laughs> it is
1: nice to be back. It is nice to be back. Thanks uh, for, for, you guys did a great job. I was listening while I was away. Uh, jealous I couldn't join you, but yeah, it was uh, it was a good experience. How's everyone uh, doing tonight?
0: Well, we're doing good. We miss you. Uh, Mary, yeah, you we miss you about? for sure. Yeah, and I guess the question that's burning on both my mind and Mary's mind is what was going on in Florida and the Gulf? Can you, can you finally share with us what's been going on?
1: So not really, <sighs> unfortunately. Oh. I know um it'll be coming out next year it's um a documentary um it'll be on Netflix um what else can I really reveal I'm like frantically looking through an email and like what I'm allowed to discuss um it's about the ocean and wildlife and climate um and there's some pretty big names involved um I think that's about all I can say right now, but it's slated for early next year
0: for oh, a release. What a tease. What a tease. Well, hopefully Seriously, uh, uh, all ahead, of those things
2: sound like very pressing. I don't know, like very pressing things, exciting people, you know, that hits all the spots.
1: <laughs> you yeah. know, and it's it's really it's really well done. I think no. you guys I think we're all three of us are going to be very impressed with how it comes out. It's going to be much better than (laughs) Seaspiracy. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) Throwing daggers already. But yeah, it's very well done. It has a lot of people backing it.
0: Nice.
1: A lot of big names. One big name is this actor. We probably uh, both know. So I'm sure you both know who I'm referring to, but... Make make inferences if you'd like. <laughs>
0: well, we, we, we can't wait to to hear more details. We'll, we'll 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 sit on it until it's ready to be told. Uh, so definitely keep us a salute, Dana, as 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 you get more liberty to share with us. Please do.
2: The only yeah. person I was going to say was Jacques Cousteau, <laughs> 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 but I realize uh, it's probably not accurate. <laughs> if not, only not, not,
0: not a bad guess though. <laughs>
2: Yeah,
1: if you didn't so, so die, uh, in data, the
0: floor, will, the data, the floor will still be yours because this week you'll be leading our news topics. Uh, or, 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 or the three of us will be leading us today. So just to give a quick tease, you'll be you'll be diving into the White House's plan. It's a thirty by thirty goal. So uh, we're looking forward to. Your 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 few minutes of of diving into that program that proposal and then uh, I guess Dana once you're done and Mary and I will give a couple of other brief news updates after that, but let's talk about this this conservation plan and mm-hmm. how this is going to go through the the Congress and what the proposal looks like and you know I'm, I'm just going to say this is a thirty by thirty plan, which is you know uh, basically conserving thirty percent by the year twenty thirty, right. Yeah, so give us, let us know what that entails and just what is this program that is being proposed by the Biden White House?
1: Yeah, so um, the Admi- Biden administration will be relying on locally led and voluntary efforts to meet um, their goal of conserving 30% of um, U.S. lands and waters by 2030. Um, so this report was released last thursday but it's been heavily in the news this week um just being dissected by different media outlets and and different um climate organizations but as i'm sure you're both well aware and our audience might not be aware in his first days of office biden signed an executive order on tackling the climate crisis and established this 30 by 30 goal Um, so essentially, yeah, like we can, we can go over it. I'm not sure if you have, you both have any thoughts before I sort of dive into it here, but pardon me. So essentially, um, it was developed by the interior agriculture and commerce departments and submitted to Biden's national climate task force. Um, so a lot of kind of the speculation as of right now has been, you know, the report kind of leaves Um, many details unanswered about how the government will use its dollars and federal powers to promote local conservation. Um, It does lay out principles, um, and it says it'll guide the effort over the next decade, including using agricultural department programs to incentivize conservation on working lands and avoiding infringement on tribal sovereignty and private property rights. so I'm not sure if you've both read into it, or if you have any thoughts on kind of the initial, on the initial kind of like what's been said so far. But that's kind of the first sort of part of it.
0: I do want to jump in real quick, Dana, real quick. And you know, I know you know we were. I want to kind of connect this real quick. I don't know if there is a connection to be made to to the Paris Climate Accords. Obviously, we were out of it for about four years. Do you think that this, uh, uh, this this program, we are now behind in conservation of, uh, efforts because of being out of the Paris Climate Accords, or is there, any, is, is there a connection to that? Do we have some catching up to do? Kind of where are we as a country right now in terms of how realistic is this, is this basically what I'm trying to ask?
1: Yeah. So, th- I mean, so the U S is among more than 50 countries that have committed to this 30 by 30 goal. Um, in terms of in comparison to the parent, I mean, I, I feel like we're quite behind. Um, I, I definitely think there's a lot of work to be done. And I think, you know, the hardcore, the climate activists and the scientists, I, I don't think that they think this is enough, um, by any means, um, you know, It's it's certainly redefining what conservation means, um, in comparison to past administrations.
2: Do you think that the United States has a proper understanding as to what conservation actually is, or how to achieve conservation? Um,
1: You know, I think that the administration has good people guiding him and guiding the administration. I think he's, you know, he's taken on some really, um, some really knowledgeable people. Um, but do I think that they're doing enough or do I think they have a good grasp? I don't think so.
2: Yeah. What Um, would be enough or in theory, what would be enough?
1: You know, there's a lot of holes with this, with this plan. Um, it relies heavily on you know, people volunteer, voluntarily, um, taking action. So I, I question whether that's going to be enough.
2: Right. Yeah, definitely. I'm also, you know, kind of like in terms of what you said about the sovereign land, sovereign tribal nations, and I'm interested in, you know, the how, like how, and what ways, the United States is gonna be incentivizing voluntary stewardship efforts on private lands. And by supporting the efforts and visions of states and tribal nations, I'm just interested in the details there. I know that maybe those don't exist yet, but it's gonna be interesting to see like how that actually works. Um, I'm obviously completely for relations between our government, you know, the United States government and tribal, tribal nations governments, and also on a local level too. It's yeah. I know that things can get often contentious there, just based on land and just the relationships between Americans and tribal nations, or usually American government officials and like you know Native Americans. It'll be interesting to see how toes aren't stepped on in that capacity.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What do you think, Pimo? Do you have any do you have any thoughts on the on the news topic?
0: Um, I. I, I... There's a, there, there's a word choice or word play here, I guess, I'm trying to, I'm trying to dive into because, you know, obviously uh, the, the broad principle is protecting 30% of our, of our land and our water by, in the next 10 years, or well, next nine years now. But I guess is, is my, another question, I, I, and this is a question I'm, I'm just asking rhetorically or, you know, broadly, this is, we, we don't have the answer to this, but, you know, there's conservation, but what's the difference between that and like protection, for example, or preservation? Uh, you know, I know, I know these, these, this is splitting hairs, but like, you know, are we? What are? It's one thing to conserve, but are what are what are, are we? Is the, does this proposal go far enough in terms of protection, like water protection? Protect, you know, because we hear about water rights, and, you know, water protectors. You know, it's one thing to conserve water; it's another thing to protect water. And, and that's right. what I, I guess. What? How far do we need to go to make this thing actually work? Is conservation enough? Do we need to Is, use protection instead?
1: Right. I think that kind of dives into like, are these principles enough? Like what are the actual actions that are, that are happening? And even myself after kind of reading through this full document, it's still kind of unclear. Um, you know, the identified key priorities are related to, so sovereignty, consultation, representation, resources, and evaluation Um, in terms of the, you know, tribal culture values and strengthening the nation-to-nation relationship and upholding the tribal sovereignty and um, self-determination, but it it just seems very vague at this point, Um, like even after reading through this, this full kind of report. So, yeah, and I know Deb Holland is, is newly appointed um, and likely has just like a lot going on. And I'm sure we're going to be hearing more and more will be released as as time goes
0: on. And I don't know if this is foreshadowing, but th- this kind of happened in California a year or two ago. I believe, I want to say if it wasn't last year, it was in 2019, where there was a bill proposed in Sacramento, which is similar to what's being proposed right now in, by, by Biden. It was a similar 30 by 30 plan. Uh, conserving 30 percent of California's lands and waters by the year 2030 mm-hmm. and the bill ended up not making it out it was defeated in committee there was widespread opposition to it and the the reason why it was there was opposition wasn't so it wasn't so much that there was disagreement about the plan everybody everybody agreed with the principle of a 30 by 30 okay let's 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 have these conservation efforts in play in the next 10 years, nine, 10 years, okay. But the California plan, at least, didn't fully flush out what that would look like. And right. so it, it, it almost became overbearing, like, hey, we're just gonna do this blanket, broad net, and you know there'll be unintended consequences with that. Now, of course, there's no silver bullet, there's no perfect plan. And there's always gonna be someone who's gonna be hurt by by a, a conservation plan. There's always gonna be a loser at the end. It's just a matter of, of the greater good coming coming ahead. But I, I almost wonder if, if, if the, and this is just without, again, maybe just going off of what you're saying, Dana, maybe there is some merit to like, hey, this is again on paper, a, a, a great principle, a, a great plan, and it, it's, it'll be hard to get people to disagree in general with a conservation plan. And of course you all wanna make progress towards a certain goal in the next nine right. years.
1: It's but hard I, to argue with few details.
0: Right. and mm-hmm. I think that, that that's that's the same question that, that again with what happened in, in California where it's just like well hey we're everyone's in in favor of it but what is it <laughs> what's Yeah, what, it's what a, the it's a 22-page
1: it? document and um it's called America the Beautiful. I'm not sure if either of you tried to attempted to read it but yeah, it's it's quite the document and it and it's quite um I don't want to say idealistic, but it, it's a very narrow path. I feel like.
2: Do you think um, it, Do you think it runs the risk of kind of emulating the same result as what happened in California by not really passing because there aren't enough details for people to understand like what it would look like?
1: I I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think people it definitely it. needs to be fleshed
0: out quite a bit more. Well, it's, 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 it's to, Mary, to piggyback on what you're saying, and, and and I think this fits with with Dana's reply as well, is very basically on the on the Republican side, the, the first the first argument the Republicans had against this against this proposal, without even reading, this is right when the proposal was made or right before the proposal was made. So you know they haven't read it yet. And what the way the way the Republican uh, uh, contingency saw this proposal or this overarching plan was, this is this is basically a, a federal government land grab. Which may or may not be the case, but if you don't have any details explaining how this thing's going to play out, it makes it easy to accuse this of being a land grab. And maybe that would, like, for example, it would be nice to see how, like, you know, we were talking about working lands and and, and the interaction of, 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 of private property. How, how are, you know, yeah. one, one thing that's been being proposed in this is. Uh, that local governments local, and local groups are given controls that dictate how private property is being used under this plan. And, and it's... Isn't yeah. it right saying that?
1: Exactly. And, and it's interesting that you say that because it kind of gets into some more news um, pieces that I was reading out about um, this plan this week, and it was about agriculture and farmers and their land and how the Biden administration really needs to work with agriculture producers. Um, and, you know, they're certainly worried about their land being taken away and, you know, they've come back and said, we're not going to be taking away your land, but we want to provide you with new opportunities. Um, you know, none of it involves taking anyone's land or using eminent domain, but, you know, they're just trying to work these things out. And I think when kind of vague ideas and vague principles are sort of put out there, it definitely makes people worried,
2: nervous. Absolutely. I mean, you know, as soon as you kind of talk about the government, you know, Biden, the Biden administration wanting to or uh, needing to work with the farmers here in the United States, right. it almost rings a similarity between the government relations and farmer relations in India, only because that is a extreme example of it going very wrong, you know? And like, I would like to hope that that wouldn't happen here. But, you know, with how distrusting a lot of people are at the government these days and just the current political climate and land relations in general it seems like it's a little scary it seems like potentially we could see some sort of i don't know pushback i guess in the that u.s
1: market. yeah and i'm I'm glad you flagged that because the usda received i think 1400 calls wow. from concerned okay. agriculture producers farmers Whoa. You know, right which is qu- quite a lot concerned because just like just like me reading this report if you're you know, if you're somebody who's on the go, this isn't something that you're diving into. You're just sort of seeing headlines and seeing bits and pieces. It, it can be very concerning for and- your well-being and for your family and for your future.
2: Without the details, how is anybody ever going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm for this. This is great. No one is. <laughs> no right. one
0: is. Especially, and here's one other layer to add to it. And Mary, this goes to your point about the farmers, like, you know, the one difference between India and the United States in, 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 terms, of, is, is, in terms of farming is, is space. The United States geographically is a larger country, which means our farming interests vary from region to region. A farmer in California has completely different interests than, than a farmer in Iowa and has completely different interests than a farmer in Georgia. I mean, it's just, you know, peanuts, corn and tomatoes. I mean, three different things, right? And so, when you're coming up with a thirty by 30, any any kind of conservation plan, let's not talk about thirty by thirty. Let's talk about any conservation plan. You know, you can't come up with a, a, a one size fits all plan when you have literally twenty to thirty different interests, regionally speaking. Not even talking locally speaking, just regionally speaking, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this is why, like, you know, I I, I, I at least understand the the, the the question of like, well. What are the details here that and how, how do we protect local rights, you know, local farmer rights? You know, and why should a, a tomato farmer in Madera, California, be beholden to the same exact standards as a peanut farmer in alpharetta Georgia? Right? Exactly. I mean, it just so this is so a, I guess,
1: yeah, may, maybe a good leading in here I can actually go through the different the eight different principles briefly here. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, pr- the first principle in this in this document is pursue a collaborative and inclusive approach to conservation. So just kind of a brief you know overview of what that means is the spirit of collaboration and shared purpose should animate all aspects of America's nature conservation and restoration efforts over over the next decade. And it goes on to sort of say you know very vaguely what that means in different areas like florida montana hawaii um, but again doesn't give any sort of specific details on what that means um, so that's the first one the second one is conserve america's lands and waters for the benefit of all people the conservation and restoration of natural places in america should yield meaningful benefits in the lives of all Americans, and these benefits should be equitably distributed. Again, what does that mean? It all sounds very—it all sounds great, but you know, I, I'd like to see some more details. So, principle number three: support locally led and locally designed conservation efforts. So, every community in the United States has its own relationship with nearby lands and waters and every community is working in some way to conserve the places that matter the most to it. That's number three. Number four, honor tribal sovereignty and support the priorities of tribal nations. So tribal nations have sovereign authority over their lands and their waters, possesses long-standing treaty hunting and fishing rights on and off reservations and have many cultural, natural and sacred sites on national public lands and the ocean. So that's number four. I can quickly go through the next ones here. Number five, pursue conservation and restoration approaches that create jobs and support healthy communities. So conserving and restoring the nation's lands and waters can yield immense economic benefits. Um, Again, just very, very vague. I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on the first five there.
2: They are vague and they kind of just sound like they've been Filtered like that, these concepts, these beginning very basic concepts, like the building, like the the little tiny dots that connect to each other to then create a bigger whole, have already been filtered through, you know, a PR to almost mean kind of nothing, but also something like enough for people to be like, oh, it sounds like we're going to make moves to care about the environment as a country, but. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, well, what does this all mean? Actually,
1: (laughs) exactly. Um, So principle six, we sort of touched on honor private property rights and support the voluntary stewardship efforts of private landowners and fishers. Again, um, there's a strong stewardship ethic among Americans, fishers, farmers, ranchers, forest owners and other private um, landowners um and then it just goes on to say like how this is very important that they work together but again you know as of today in the last week they haven't really been consulted Um, so then it goes on to seven use science as a guide Um, scientists have made remarkable gains in understanding complicated natural systems that support human communities particularly in the face of climate change, just sort of speaks very vaguely about scientists and climate change, which, you know, we already know these things. <laughs> um, and then the last one here is build on existing tools and strategies with an emphasis on flexibility and adaptive approaches. Um, so the US has long been a global innovator in natural resource conservation, I would argue that, and stewardship um, from inventing the idea of national parks to forging market-based strategies for showing the loss of the nation's essential wetlands. So that sort of highlights the, the eight principles in this, in this report.
0: And you know what's interesting is like we're in 2021. I mean, today is what, May 12th, 2021, where we're talking eight and a half years from having this become realized. And knowing how slow government moves, eight and a half years is a long. Is not a long time. Uh, it's not a long time at all. I mean, it, it may take eight and a half years just to come up with a plan, let alone right. executing the plan, which is a whole different thing, right? And One so, year
2: per principle.
0: Right? <laughs> <laughs> right? So, but here, here's my question to both of you, and I, I want to take a step back, because obviously the plan still has holes, it still has to be flushed out, but... To, to bring it back to, to why we're having the, these, these conversations, why does a plan like this even matter to begin with? If you're, if you're, you know, Joe Schmo or, or, or Plain Jane, and you know, you're like thirty by thirty, what does that mean? Like, if we can, I guess, in the next few minutes, can the three of us kind of somehow relate this to 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 the everyday person? Why does why does a plan like a thirty by thirty conservation effort actually even matter to begin with? Why should we care about this?
1: so I mean from an international standpoint it's it's definitely a push right um, I mean the United States is the most powerful country in the world and you know to push for conservation which is like aiming to protect our biodiversity or and to mitigate climate change of course you know from a from a public standpoint it I would say that it's quite important. Um, but in terms of like an everyday person and like what they can do, it really comes down to your local governments and what actually comes out of this plan and what the actionable items are. And that's what I'm very curious to see and and curious to dive into once we have more information.
0: I actually want to toss, toss in one piggyback on that comment actually you just made, Dana, it's a great point you just made. And this is something that maybe the federal government could learn from the from all things, like the California Coastal Commission, which I'd covered for the for about six years between 2014 and 2020. I, I actively covered that commission. And the one thing the commission did a great job of, you know, and, and they they were the, they're kind of the anti-30 30 by 30 plan here. What I mean by that is they actually have a thought-out process to fill in as many details as possible. The commission once a quarter has a when they have their you know when they, they they meet month they they meet monthly but once every every three months they actually have a meeting uh, uh, specifically about environmental responses or to, 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 to sea level rise to flooding to the wildfires whatever that the topic is once a quarter they specifically meet about a specific topic and then what they do is they say okay here's what the topic is they, they have a, a full day of vetting out And Coastal Commission staff then creates a plan for local governments to then take from and and implement their own actions. You know, because San Diego is different from Crescent City, right? Extreme South, extreme North in the state. So what San Diego needs to address for climate change isn't going to be the same as Crescent City. So what, what the commission does is they say, okay, San Diego... Here are some tools you could use to address your issues that only apply to you guys. And then here's a, here's kind of a, a boilerplate you could you could start with, and we'll equip you we'll equip your decision leaders um, to create a specific game plan for San Diego only. And do this they'll do the same for L.A. and do the same for Central Coast. I'll do the same for the Bay Area. I'll do the same for Humboldt. They'll do the same for Crescent City the same for Sacramento, they'll do the same for Tahoe, they'll do the same for, for Mono Lake and Mono County. Like that's how they do that. And so I'm wondering if DC could kind of borrow from the same model that California is doing. It's a, very, it's, it's a great top-down approach. Like here's what the general state mission is. But when we go down to the local level, we're, we're giving every specific region the exact tools that they and they only need to address the issues that are affecting them. Right. And so I'm, I'm almost wondering, like if, if California is almost, as much as people like to hate on California as, as this liberal state, well, the coastal, the coastal commission seems to know what they're doing.
2: I, I completely agree. I don't think that there's any way forward for mass reform that is general and a blanket for everybody like blanket rules for everybody i don't think that will ever work because of the nuances that are in every town you know everybody has different situations everybody's got a different water situation even on a city to city level like what's happening in north orange county water is much different than what's happening in south orange county water and where they get their water from you know what i'm saying Same with NorCal. I mean, like even just NorCal versus SoCal, it's way different. And so, I mean, even in the fire with like the fire situation that we're also trying to tend to here in California, the fire plan in Northern California is different than the fire plan in Southern California. And it has to be because of the different types of environments in both places. So I think the only way forward is definitely paying attention to the nuances in each city and adapting a plan, details that are going to address those issues in that town.
0: You know, it's so great about hearing what, what you just said now, Mary, because it's, it's great because this directly applies to the EPA, believe it or not, the history of the EPA. And I don't know if any people know this. I mean, you know, the EPA was created in the 1970s, in the early 1970s, specifically by Richard Nixon. So a Republican administration created the EPA. But here's why the EPA was created. I don't know how many people actually know this. The reason why the EPA was created was to do the opposite of what you just said, was to create a mainstream one blanket approach fits all. Because what was happening in the 60s, you know, specifically with car manufacturing, is a car had to be built differently for New York than it was for California. And right. versus Texas versus Wyoming.
1: This so, was Nixon, right?
0: This is, this is, this is the era of Nixon. So, so if you go pre-Nixon, go back to Johnson and Kennedy, uh, right. The paradigm that existed back then was you didn't have uh, a mainstream set of rules that applied to car manufacturing, right? So Detroit was like, well, wait a second, we got to make, if we're making a, a, a Dodge Challenger, we got to make a, a one Dodge Challenger for New York, a different one for California, a different one for Washington. Well, why should we make 50 different Dodge Challengers? Let's make one Dodge Challenger goes to all 50 states. So they campaigned Nixon once he was in office to create the EPA to federalize environmental protection. And it was the, it, the EPA was created specifically to protect Detroit. That's why the agency was created. Of course, it's, it's grown to a whole different agency ever since. But the original intent of the EPA was specifically to protect, to protect Detroit. And Detroit did not want to spend the money of adjusting envir- uh, their cars for environment, environmental regulations. So they wanted a blanket, one-size-fits-all approach to, to car building. And that's right. why the epa was built or made and of course epa has since changed dramatically but you know it, we do have precedent you know from 50 years ago of the government trying to solve problems with a blanket one size fits all approach and this is what the as as well intentioned as this 30 by 30 plan is we do have and and, and hey look this is something I don't care if you're a liberal or Democrat or a liberal or or, or conservative. You you should always question policies to make sure it is actually maximizing its effect. Right. The EPA
1: employs 14,000 people. How many of those people are being utilized to their fullest?
0: Right, right. 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 And so (laughs) we also need to ask the same questions to to, to the Biden White House. And I know we're saying this all, you know, the three of us are supporters of Biden. Of course. I I know that. But that doesn't mean that our faith is blind and we-, we That
1: separates we, us from other people.
0: Right, <laughs> <laughs> very much so. So <laughs> I, I guess that, that, those are my parting thoughts is, uh, and I'll let you guys chime well, time in with yours in a second, but my, my parting thought is uh, this is a well-intentioned plan. I, I do hope to see it come through, but there, do, there, there, we do need to see some added details. And what, what's the execution? I mean, are, how realistic... Is it to actually have something executed by 2030? Not just, oh, hey, this is a nice plan. And then 2030 comes by and nothing's happened. What do we do to actually get there now? We need to start working today. And I, uh, that's where I, I,
1: completely I agree with you. I think that, um, you know, like I said, it's a narrow path for the ambitious plan. And I think we really do need those specifics. And I think once those get fleshed out and, and you know, things kind of get rolling I'll be a lot more inclined to to sort of I'll see it you know believe it when I see it I guess yeah. as I'm just very skeptical right. but you know it, it's a great principle it's a great document I read it it was you know I read it I was like oh wow this sounds great and then I read it again and I was like that's all it really does is it sounds great
0: <laughs>
2: Yeah, I feel the same way as you, Dana. I will believe it when I see it. And I think that at this point, we all need to be questioning exactly what the details are and we need to be questioning uh, the administration in terms of exactly what they mean. Um, as soon as they provide the details and a plan of execution, I will be all ears and interested in uh, paying attention to how, how it all plays out because you know that's where it counts the most.
1: Yeah, I think it'll it'll definitely take some time to muster up the kind of grassroots support needed to achieve this kind of sweeping goal. Um, and I, I think the administration is underestimating the amount of work it'll take to get people on board. Um, you know, organizations have been trying for years and I, and I hope that it's different and I hope, you know, the government can really on its on its promises
0: well thank you dana that was a great presentation obviously we could uh, as usual another topic we, we could chat on for hours on end uh but but we'll definitely be following this and there will definitely updates and as updates come in we will definitely bring them up again as uh, as days go on so with that of course 30 by 30 is not the only news that's out there we have a few brief items we want to mention before this episode is over I'm going to pass it off to Mary for a few minutes. She's got a couple of things she want to talk about, specifically about uh, the the Arizona Attorney General trying to uh, weaponize climate fears to keep out immigrants, and also the U.S. O- owing a massive climate debt. Uh, so, Mary, give us a quick report and brief on on what these two items are about.
2: Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm combining both of them uh, mostly. I mean, they're related. They're entirely related, but uh, pretty much uh, Arizona's attorney general, Mark Burnovich filed a lawsuit against three people at federal agencies. The agencies including Homeland Security, U.S. Customs and Border Protection and Immigration and Customs Enforcement, claiming that the Biden administration is failing to protect the environment. This is a pretty unusual claim for somebody who's better known for distorting climate science in legal briefings and defending big oil giants. And I mean, not that I even need to say this, but he's... I you know I, I whatever he's a Republican I don't even know I feel like even sta- stating stating that these days is super divisive and whatever but those are the facts he's a Republican that's what it is um, he so he's defended big oil giants such as Exxon Mobil Corporation um, and while it appears weird on the surface uh, it's not that and it's well it's not that unusual his statements when you break down the details of exactly how he considers the Biden administration is failing the environment and what Brnovich considers the source of pollution. And that answer is migrants. He believes that immigrants, uh, in other words, are um, basically bringing in pollution and the cause of environmental destruction. So Brnovich is using essentially pro-environment arguments to defend anti-immigration views. And yeah, it's super upsetting and very offensive. Uh, uh, That's stating it lightly, obviously. But um, he's also uh, in the lawsuit, he's ultimately seeking to reinstate President Trump's immigration policies according according to the lawsuit and argues that Biden has failed to carry out mandatory environmental reviews on how more immigration could increase climate changing pollution so i'm bringing this all up mostly be, mostly because regardless of where you fall on immigration this type of rhetoric identifying which is you know identifying certain types of groups of certain groups of people as pollutants is happening on a much larger platform than it argu- arguably ever has in the United States. And is completely, I mean, obviously, it's completely dehumanizing, which is the, which is the marker of racism and forging racist policies, particularly in regards to the environment.
1: It's so- just absolutely crazy to me that these, these migrant workers are truly the backbone of America. They, they provide us our food. They're the absolute most essential people in this country and we treat them so horribly. I just had to, uh, that's yeah, just.
2: Absolutely, and I mean, not that we even need to say that that type of language is dehumanizing, but we already in this country have, in the United States have a problem with racist policies being an issue. And this is the, like this guy, Brnovich is trying to like reinstate not even reinstate but create another one. So while I'm sure a lot of people are like oh yeah great well that has been happening there are tons of them because there are tons of them we shouldn't have any anymore and we need to be aware of when this is happening. Um, also dehumanization is a key component and often the first step towards greater violence towards groups that we dehumanize and they cannot be afforded any more violence like we they we don't have we can't do that to them and um yes uh, it, according to a historian alexandra stern from the university of michigan this is something that happens regularly uh as soon as dehumanization happens especially on a political level that's when violence starts to take place against these groups of people yeah and, and we
1: it with you know, with the Asian community, with the president, and now, you know, it's it's this this politician in this one place. But then it's you know making national headlines. It's very damaging and dangerous. Yeah, definitely.
0: Uh, um, I'm reading. So this is the April 12th lawsuit, and right. This is a direct quote from the lawsuit: Migrants, like everyone else, needs housing, infrastructure, hospitals, and schools. They drive cars, purchase goods, and use public parks and other facilities. Their actions also directly result in the release of pollutants, carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, which directly affects air quality, which makes me scratch my head, which I'm literally doing right now. I'm scratch my head because I'm this. and what migrants do this, but somehow Americans don't like I'm not. I mean, my housing, my driving, my purchase of goods isn't affecting air quality. But this migrant is or I mean I just I don't I d I how do you logically say that can you logically say that one group of people is doing it and the other group isn't? If are all no. the same thing, we're all contributing
2: yeah uh, also there is science that proves that how just ludicrous that statement is which i can get into in a second but yeah this the one another reason why i really wanted to cover this issue this story specifically today was because this type of rhetoric using pro-environmental language to advance xenophobic goals or anti, anti-immigration views isn't new and it's something that is happening in various places around the world and particularly in Europe, uh, including Germany, Italy, and France. And even before Bernovich, we saw the, um, the theme of immigrants as pollution uh, in the manifestos of mass shooters, including that loser who shot up a Walmart in El Paso, killing nearly two dozen people he deemed as the cause of the Hispanic invasion of Texas. It was also in the manifesto of the guy who shot up the mosque in, was it Australia or New Zealand? Yep. Uh, Australia. Um, yes. Yeah, so we have seen like this is a theme and it's happening and it points to uh, a larger it points to a larger concept of something else that's happening, which is ecofascism. Mm, um, just. <laughs> yeah, which is an authoritarian, uh, an authoritarian political model that would require individuals to sacrifice their own interests to the organic whole of nature it's essentially white supremacy uh, wrapped up into e- ecological rhetoric and thinking. Um, and it's just another way to like basically be horrible. <laughs> and uh, a lot of people, when you hear the word fascism, you think of Nazi Germany, you think of Nazis, and, or maybe you think of Trump. I don't know. I don't know. But basically the thing is, is, Uh, fascism comes in all shapes, colors, sizes. It can come in a version of, you know, something like what we were starting to experience here in the United States the last four years, or it can look like it can come disguised in people pretending to care about the environment or people pretending to care about other pressing issues that are facing our country or the world. I
1: I read an interesting, um, when you sent over your, your news story, Mary, I read, um, a little a blurb about ecofascism, and um, it was interesting. It argues that climate change is God's will, and there are too many people anyway, so there's going to be a great purge, and perhaps that's all for the best. It's environmentalism through genocide. It's a very disturbing um, kind of explanation of of kind of these very disturbed individuals who kind of use environmentalism to push their radical beliefs.
2: Absolutely, and it's interesting also that at one point the Republican Party, not everyone obviously, but a lot of the people representing the Republican Party were, you know, saying that climate change isn't real and that it, they denied it. They were climate, often climate deniers, but now we're seeing something where they're sort of shifting the narrative a little bit saying like, okay, like it's real, but these Immigrants, these migrants, are causing climate change. They are the reason for pollution, and so you're seeing kind of this new shift through the guise of caring about the environment. And one person, one uh, in in one of the stories I read, one of the experts quoted uh, said, I believe that this is also kind of a tactic used by more middle-aged people representing the Republican party in hopes to sort of get younger generations on board with these Republican ideals because most younger people do care about the environment and want to do something about it. So this is kind of like a way to sort of keep the Republican party alive by grabbing the- I just just
1: wonder how that could
2: possibly draw in young people. I mean, if you don't, if you aren't aware of eco-fascism, like if you're not aware of fascism, you might potentially go along with it. You know, I don't know. I don't know. It seems or, insane. Or
0: or might, or might just be a other way where it's, just, it's, it's, it's a way to just oppose Democrats. I mean, there are plenty of Republicans out there who are Republicans because they don't want to be Democrat. And so, you know, so that that might be the easy hook of like, oh, these, these, these uh, this, this Green New Deal is, is was way too overwhelming It's socialism, I can't go with that. I agree with environmental, you know policies, but not socialist but environmental policies. So I can't go along with that side. So I'm gonna come over to this side. I mean that could be another another avenue to, another hook uh yeah. for 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 people to to switch over to another side that is an oxymoron. I don't know.
1: You know and some of these these briefs that I read and they just play, they you know they describe it so nice like eco-fascists believe that environmental damage is the product of displaced populations like I don't know why you're even trying to say it like that just say that like just call yourself what you are
2: yeah agreed totally um I'm just going to read off some very some studies that kind of show how ridiculous this entire that entire argument of Brnovich's uh lawsuit is what it, what his lawsuit is even founded on and it goes back to what you said Pima what made you scratch your head uh, in a 2000 there's there's two studies uh, in a 2011 study published in the journal of population research and policy reviews scientists analyzed federal pollution data in 183 different metropolitan areas and determined that immigration does not contribute to local air pollution levels across any of the seven pollution measures um, examined, so there's different levels of how people, or how scientists take pollution into consideration and none of them were increased by, uh, by immigration. And the second study, there's a bunch of studies here, but the second study is uh, it was taken in 2019 in the Social Science Journal, and it compared air quality data in counties populated by immigrants and native-born citizens in a series of models that found and found that native population is strongly associated with worse air quality while, while, while foreign born population is associated with better air quality. Of course it is. Yeah. And then one last one. A January 2021 study in the Journal of Population and Environment looked at state-level data from 1997 to 2014 and concluded that immigration may indeed yield environmental benefits and that environmental quality may represent an important factor for amenity influencing immigration flows and that there's actually benefits, there's actually uh, in beneficial beneficial impacts from immigration to society to communities where they immigrate to. So, it's all very stupid, and we need to watch out for fascism in all its shapes, colors, sizes, because this is 2021, and it's coming at you fast.
0: And uh, uh, let, me, let me guess, Mary, those, those studies were all funded by Antifa, right? Which is why we can't take them seriously, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic, of course.
1: No, no. <laughs> of course.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Mary, for those updates, uh the, for that for that news story. And uh, hopefully hopefully uh this, this lawsuit doesn't gain any traction. I doubt it will, but you know, you never know. But never hopefully know. it's tossed out as, as fast that was put as as fast as it was put together. So transitioning to a couple of quick items that I want to talk about real quick, and I'll, I'll, these are pretty short, but I'd love to hear both of your thoughts on, on, on these. Uh, I want to talk about one of these items because of Trump's reply to the news item, which I think is hilarious. Uh, so Vineyard Wind Project, it's going to be built off the coast of Massachusetts. It will create, if these are wind farms, that will create enough energy, enough electricity to power 400,000 homes. And this is gonna be going through the final approval stages and it will basically be our first ever national commercial scale offshore wind farm. And this is all part of Biden's goal of expanding our country's renewable energy production.
2: Very
0: and exciting. So this will basically be 84 turbines built in the Atlantic Ocean, 12 nautical miles off the coast of Martha's Vineyard. Martha's Vineyard, as, we, as you may or may not know, uh, was, uh, is a popular spot for presidents to go vacation. Is also this, I believe, the filming location for Jaws. I really
1: believe awesome. so. I yeah. Believe
0: that's, yeah. I believe that's where it was filmed. Yes. $2.8 billion project. Now, I'm going to read to you verbatim Trump's statement about this, uh, about this farm. And i'd love to hear your comments both on the merits of the farm and then the lack of merit of the statement statement is congratulations to martha's vineyard in massachusetts for the privilege they will have in looking at massive windfalls oh, or massive windmills that, that have been approved by the Biden administration and are being built in china of course as part of an extraordinarily large wind farm wind is an ex- is an incredibly expensive form of energy that kills birds affects the sea ruins the landscape and creates disasters for navigation liberals love it but they can't explain why so (laughs) this is our former president talking here so i i would love to hear
1: Oh, i Both mean where do we like, even well, start you know, i can't well, even
0: <laughs> well, let's, attack, let's attack the last line where he says liberals love but can't explain why well you know what let's explain why
1: <laughs> it doesn't like i mean there's so many different things it, it doesn't contaminate the earth for one like that should be good enough right it's Correct. not contaminating the earth right right um it reduces the use of fossil fuels which is causes greenhouse gases which causes global warming um i mean th- that's like the major thing like there's I, there's nothing wrong with renewable energy
0: right and then we okay. <laughs> Mary, is you and i well know when we drive and, and even danny i mean you've been in california and when you drive on that 10 freeway east of of the la area and you're going into the coachella valley into the palm desert and you look left and right, and you see a bunch of windmills. You see these whole, these large wind farms, which has been powering the, 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 the southeast California desert for decades. For right. decades,
1: it's cost effective. Right, it's very cost effective. It's, you know, it's costing way less than than any other source of energy. Um, mm-hmm. It's fuel free. It, I mean, it creates jobs. Um, and it's you know,
0: four hundred thousand homes. I mean,
1: right. the the Martha's Vineyard project is going to be how many homes? Four hundred thousand.
0: Four
1: hundred thousand homes. Yes. Right. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a it's your it's a domestic source of energy. I could just sit here all day and name all sorts of things. Uh, it's sustainable. Um, it can be exist. It can, they can be built on existing pieces of land. Um, uh, there's just so many different. You can't argue with this, you know, unless you're crazy.
0: And, I, well, and and we can one could definitely argue that that President Trump is crazy because even the one line he says, like, oh, yeah, these these, these turbines are being built in China. He's one to speak his made in America, his make America great hats are made in China.
1: <laughs> right.
0: I mean, you know, the one the one thing that he's that, that that's iconic about Trump is a China product. So who is he to complain about what's being made in China?
2: He's crazy. That whole, like, as if everything that we've said thus far between you guys isn't enough, isn't enough. We, we should look to other countries that already employ this strategy and how effective it is in other countries. Like in Germany, for instance, it is a, an incredible power source. I think, I think in 2020 onshore wind, onshore wind power. So so wind turbines contributed almost to twenty percent of Germany's net power production. That's a lot. I mean, that means that that's that's a ton. That's a ton of power that is gained and garnered from a natural, like basically a naturally a natural resource. Essentially, like we're taking. It's, I I just can't like that's. It's, I mean, so as
1: I read about this. I, and it, it's been picked up by the Washington, like major media Let's have picked this up. And, you know, and I think it's 2017, either 2017 or 2018, the U.S. wind sector was employing about 100,000 people. Mm-hmm. After, you know, four years, that's probably gone up quite a bit, but we're already employing so many people. And, and by 2050, it, it should be employing, what, 600, 700, 800,000 people. People in manufacturing, installation, maintenance, support services. Um, I mean, th- this is just a booming industry. This is where the world is going. and I can't imagine
0: these are real domestic jobs that, that you know we you know like oh you know the Democrats don't want to just you know pay everybody to not work. No way. Here we are, literally building infrastructure. Literally building right. infrastructure. Where 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 are the, where are the handouts here? These are actual real jobs.
1: Yep. And it's, you know, the P- Department of Energy is the one putting out these statistics. And.
0: well oh, but they probably cook, you know, because, you know, the liberals have to cook the numbers, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, transition to our last news item. And this is related to Mary's news item because it raises a very interesting point about where our pollution actually comes from. Hint, it's not immigrants. The headline reads Air pollution from farms leads to 17,900 U.S. deaths per year. This is a study that was conducted uh, in North Carolina. Well, North Carolina is one place. So apparently, uh, hog feces uh, at a pig farm are so toxic uh, they carry. Uh, a bunch of hazardous gases like methane and ammonia and hydrogen sulfide that is actually causing people to die. It's uh, the first-of-a-kind study done out of uh, Duplin County, North Carolina. And it is these kinds of farms, these are American farms with American workers that are leading to nearly 100 deaths a year. And they're directly tied to emissions by pigs and so, so we're
1: talking like hold methane, we're talking, yeah,
0: we're talking ammonia, ammonia methane, sulfur. ammonia, sulfide.
2: So hold on. It's not even death by pigs. It's death by pig. Shit. Is yes. that accurate?
0: Okay. accurate. <laughs> yes. That is, that is a hundred percent accurate.
2: Just wanted to clarify.
0: Yes. It's, it's, it's not even pigs. It's pig shit. <laughs> and, and, you know, and so, this is like you know and and hey look livestock we love our meat in this country and you know we all we all eat a lot of us eat a lot of meat and i'm in texas where meat is a rite of passage and here is you know this there there are people dying because of our of our meat consumption and there's even a breakdown here of livestock responsible for fine particle pollution, and they have two sides of the graph. This graph is annual deaths linked to animal-based food, and deaths linked to plant-based food. It is literally four to one for every four deaths that are caused every year by animal-based foods. There's only one death for plant-based food. So beef, for example, there are four thousand deaths a year that are linked to, to, to beef consumption. Three thousand three hundred deaths per year tied to pork consumption. Thirteen hundred deaths a year tied to chicken consumption. Okay, compared to on the plant-based side, then this is the highest number here: eight hundred deaths per year tied to grains, another eight hundred deaths a year tied to sugar. The 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 discrepancy is, is is quite noticeable: five to one beef to corn or beef to grain, and so, you know, clearly it's not immigrants who are causing deaths here in pollution. It's fiction, <laughs> literally fiction. So, thoughts?
1: I mean, it's t- <laughs> this is crazy. I mean, beef is by far the biggest, you know, generator of greenhouse gas emissions. I think we all know that, right? Right.
0: Um,
1: so meat production is bad for the in- environment. Um I just don't, you know, maybe I'll let Mary talk. I need to take this in a little bit.
0: <laughs> it's a lot to take in, right?
2: <laughs> it is a lot to take in. Um, I'm curious to know a couple things. Who fun, Who is the, who? did the study? Ex- that was my first thought, too. Yeah, it, it,
0: it was um, I, I, uh, Duplin County, North Carolina is where the study was done. I'm pulling up the info as to who funded it. I'm trying to see who funded it. So this is the 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 research is published in the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, which is a legit publication. And the the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. So a lot of reports do get do get published in in here, and it's it's a full on study. I mean, this is not just some some sort of uh, and there's a bunch of references here that 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 cite you know abstracts or scholarly articles uh, well, you know so this yeah. is a, this is a well i mean I'm, I'm reading just the the just reading the abstract and the way it's set up yeah it's professionally done
2: i uh, am i am definitely in the belief that Obviously, some of the factory farming that we do in this country is atrocious and it's really fucked up. And I think that, like, and that's putting it lightly, I don't think that we know how to take care of animals in this country. So I wouldn't be surprised if those findings are accurate. I wouldn't be surprised if the animals that people are consuming in this country, for the most part, are toxic based on what they eat and what they're fed. And therefore, yes. and therefore producing extremely toxic feces. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I'm sure that even humans, based on how poorly humans in the, in the United States generally eat, not everybody, but generally are also producing very, very toxic greenhouse gas shits because of all of the bad things that they're consuming in their body, you know? And also why, every, why a lot of people get sick. My only, my only you know, just questions about this study is just exactly like who, like who funded the study, you know, I'm no, just I, I can
0: answer that now. So it's actually several uh, researchers at universities. And okay. Here are the universities, the University of Minnesota at St. Paul, University of Oxford, Carnegie Mellon University, University of Washington, and yeah, and the University of, of Illinois Urbana. So these are major universities that have all contributed uh, to, this, uh, to this study.
2: And there's no doubt in my mind also that eating green, eating like not eating meat is better for the environment. Also likely, I mean, people also don't, the same way that almost everybody is dehydrated, almost everybody doesn't get the proper amount of greens that they, and uh, natural food consumption that they should be eating just on a dietary level. Um, so there's that too. And that's kind of how I feel. I feel like, you know, obviously eating greens is very important. I don't know if it's all, uh, you know, animal feces or, you know, pig feces that is causing, you know, this type of pollution, but I wouldn't doubt that some of it is. And obviously factory farming, I said, is not done well in this country. That's for sure. Uh, and I think everybody can agree on that.
0: I, I'm you know, just, as, I'm as just we, waiting for somebody to, to challenge the report by simply saying, Oh, that's a bunch of pig shit.
2: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's pig shit.
1: <laughs> I don't I, think it's, you know,
2: I was like, I
1: like kind of like keep thinking about this. It, it doesn't really surprise me. I don't know. It's meat and dairy. <laughs> yeah. Have, you know, particularly from cows, um, account for 14.5% of the world's greenhouse gas gases each year. It's, I'm sure as you both know, is the same amount as the emissions from all transportation, cars, trucks, planes, ships. You know, I, I tend to believe that a lot of that is quite bad for your health in terms of what it's, you know, what these animals are Dana, from their bodies.
0: <laughs> Dana I, I got a funny quote I got to read you because right now you're talking about Gary. Made me think of uh, one of my favorite movies, Snatch. And there's a line that hits what you're just saying on the head right now. And the, and the quote is this. It's uh, the, one of the characters named Tommy. He's giving a lecture about milk. And here's his line. He says, cows have only been domesticated for the last 8,000 years. Before that, they were running around mad as lorries human digestive system hasn't got used to dairy products yet this isn't a movie <laughs> yeah and he's kind of got
1: a point yeah totally and, it, and it's it and a lot of people wonder like every day like how can i help it you know how can i help the world how can i reduce my you know my footprint consuming less red meat and dairy like yeah. that's the easiest most like it doesn't mean going vegan it doesn't mean you know it doesn't mean being very extreme. It's just like red meat and dairy. If hey.
2: you
0: can if you
1: can reduce that in your diet, you're making a huge impact, you and, know, supply and demand.
0: I can tell you, like to that point, Dana, and this is gonna sound like blasphemy to anybody who lives in Texas. When I moved to Texas in the past season, i I've been here for six months in Texas, I've dramatically cut down my red meat intake. Who moves to Texas and cuts down the red meat, right? Right. <laughs> so I did that. So yeah, to your point, I mean I agree with you. Yeah, we I mean, just it's the little things. You don't have to like drastically change your life, but just make a little snippet here, snippet there. And before you know it, you're doing your part. Beef,
2: beef, lamb, and cheese. There you go. Cut them out. <laughs> I think also if you're make, you have to make conscious decisions. You know, if it's, if you and your family, let's say on a holiday decide that you guys are going to share a meal, a red meat meal, for instance, um, and that's the tradition that your family has had forever. I would say that making conscious decisions to not like, to know where you're buying your stuff from, you know, so you're not buying from a factory farm that yeah. is just a nasty place that, you know, abuses their animals. Support you your local
1: yours. farmers, your local egg yeah. farmers, your
2: local chicken farmers. Absolutely.
1: I, I agree. And
2: you can find those places, you can find those people at your local farmer's market or just doing the research on
0: the computer. I was just about to say, Mary, farmer's markets are, 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 are quite valuable. I try to go to one every weekend myself. So It's but worth
2: it. It's worth the investment. If you're going to eat meat, do it right. Um, if you're just not going to pay attention and buy un- unconsciously, then you run the risk of dying from pig shit. <laughs> I'm and
1: gonna reread that. this article like five hundred times.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I hate to end the this episode on. I hate you heard to, it first. What was that?
2: <laughs> I said those are the facts. You heard those it first. Are,
0: those, those are all the facts. And the fact of the matter is, we're ending this episode on pig shit. So. I guess, <laughs> <laughs> happy day, everybody, try not to die on pig shit. So on behalf Hold of you here, your uh, race, I do want to say definitely thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with, with another topic and some more news briefs. Of course, you can find us everywhere uh, online. Don't forget to look us up on all of your podcast mediums, be it Apple Podcasts or Google Music or Amazon Music, pretty much Spotify, iHeartMedia. Everywhere you can download podcasts, you will find Erased. So search for us there. Of course, uh, we are on social media. We are on Twitter. We are on Instagram. We are on Facebook. So we're on
1: all of the things. We're on all the
0: things. And so we're easy to consume and we're easy to find. And by all means, don't be hesitant to, to follow us and to reach out to us. Subscribe to us, download our episodes and rate us. That's how we, we, we gain an audience. So again, thank you so much. Dana, thank you for leading today's episode. Mary, thank you for uh, leading another conversation on some great topics. Uh, I mean, I had no idea about that lawsuit until you brought it up. So thank you for bringing that up. And of course, leave it to me to end with big shit. So with that, (laughs) thank you, everybody. And uh, on behalf of the team here, thank you very much. And We'll talk to you next week.